everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. Last week, I did a podcast and a video, and it was titled, A Lesbian Walked Into My Office Ready for Help, something like that. And I shared that story with you all, and it received a lot of positive feedback through social media, and I was very grateful for that. I was just I was I was grateful for God's kindness in in all of your hearts to those of you who responded because we live in such an aggravated society now where we seem like we just hate everything and we hate everybody and and we go into our pockets and we we build our teams and there's so much animosity that we just can't have civil discussions about especially sensitive things. And of course, the sexually confused culture that we live in, that can be triggering for so many people. And so I was a little bit hesitant, a little bit nervous, actually, about doing the podcast and and the video and pushing that article out there. But again, the responses were so favorable, and it was encouraging to me at the gratitude that uh, when people heard that story or they listened to it, saw it on video, and uh, they just expressed appreciation for God's mercy, and there were there were no negative comments, and and for that I was just very thankful. And so as I've been reflecting on it for the past couple of days, I want to share with you another story about another lesbian that I encountered a number of years ago, and I I've written it up in an article, and and here's the title of it. And again, you can read, watch, or listen uh, to this, and I trust too that it will be. An encouragement to you, uh, maybe partially convicting. That's okay, and and I pray that it will be motivating. That as we see people who are not like us, that that we would look out over Jerusalem and we would weep for them, and then we would ask God to give us an opportunity to be able to mobilize and and to be able to share the gospel with them. And and that's what happened with my other lesbian friend who did not come to my office seeking help, uh, but actually we met. Uh, in the workplace, and I struck up a conversation and relationship with her, and we went out on a few dates, and that's why I titled this, The Reason I Dated a Lesbian, was to share Christ with her, and I want to share that story with you in just a moment. But before I get into the story, I do want to talk about what is going on in our ministry. Our ministry is a a decade and a half old. We started as a counseling ministry many years ago, and I thought, honestly thought that I was going to be doing counseling for the rest of my life, and I was fine with that. And then we make our plans, God orders our steps, and I was going right, and all of a sudden we're moving uh, in another direction, and, and that's fine. We want, to, we want to find out where God is working, and we want to go there and get busy, as a friend told me many years ago. And it, it became evident that, that God was working over here in the area of content creation and leadership development, that there were people out there that just wanted solid, practical, Christocentric resources that they could use personally, but they could also use uh, in their ministry and whatever work God had given them. And so our ministry began to take this slow uh, curve, this slow bend over a number of years. Over a decade ago, we started our mastermind program for this very reason, that someone from Texas wrote in and said, hey, do you have a training program? And I told Lucia, I'll be busy this weekend because we're building a training program, and it has gone very well, and God has blessed it. For that, I am quite grateful. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's not as intensive. It's more of a buffet. We have 
millions of words that are in a read, watch, listen format where people can come to our sanctification center and they can take these resources and use them personally and also use them within their context, wherever that may be. Every day of the year, I am all over the world. Today, I have been around the world multiple times because of the redemptive value of technology. There is an echo of omnipresence in technology that permits us to do what we do in a global way. And so we, we get this feedback from uh, in the States uh, but also around the world where people have come to our ministry, and many times we don't even know it because they just pick up our resources and, and take them, and for that we're quite joyful, uh, grateful that we can provide them. And we don't need to know. We just trust God that they will come and they will take them and use them, and that is a very good thing. And so if you look at our ministry on a spectrum, then we have this sanctification center, this buffet of sanctification tools that people come, peruse, take, use, and then also share with others, and they do that freely. And then over here on the other side of the spectrum, we have our Mastermind program, which is a little more laborious. Uh, it is intensive and intrusive, and this is where we have team members that speak into the students' lives, and we bring them along, coaching them, teaching them in biblical counseling. And so that is the full range of our ministry, free resources, super beneficial, very practical, and then intensive training over here for the person who wants to learn how to do biblical counseling. As I have been looking at our ministry, I've also noticed that there is a middle space here. And in that middle space is people who want more than the free stuff. Thank you for the resources, but I would like some mentoring, please. But yet they for whatever reason, they don't want to do the mastermind program. Maybe it's not the season of life for them to do that because they're so busy. A stay-at-home mom, for example. And this is just not the right time for them. Or maybe they have already received the academic training, and they're in this long season of the practicum, and they would, they're doing the work of counseling and discipleship, and they would like to have somebody mentoring them. That's this middle space. And I've, I've spent a good bit of time over the past several weeks thinking about that and asking the Lord to bring people to us who want that kind of coaching. They want consulting. They want mentoring. And so if you're in that position to where you want more than the free stuff, you would like another set of eyes on your discipleship practice, and you don't want to do the mastermind program for whatever reason that may be, and so here you are, then I want you to know that our ministry is available uh, to you, available for you. And so if you are a pastor, a ministry leader, a youth leader, a small group leader, if you have a counseling ministry, if you're doing the work of discipleship, uh, you're a guy on a job, a lady on a job, and you just want another set of eyes with some of the people that you are engaging, then this is all you have to do is that you become a supporting member of our ministry, and then that will give you complete access to our private forum, and that's where you can talk to us. 
and that's where we can give you feedback on whatever questions you have, and you can ask an unlimited number of questions. And our team, including me, will respond to you in written form. We'll also respond to you in video format as well. And we would be that other set of eyes. Uh, we would be consultants or coaches or mentors or disciple makers, whatever word or label you want to use. And so would you pray about that? And maybe you know someone that uh, would like that. If you would share that with them, I would really appreciate it. And if you have questions, as always, just jump on our ministry, hit the support link, and just send us an email. We'd be glad to explain more or answer whatever questions you have about this middle space here. And we would love to serve some of you that way. Now, I want to talk to you about as I titled this, the reason I dated a lesbian was to share Christ. Now, this was during a season in my life. I was a single man. It was in the early 90s. And during that season, I had a very hard time getting a job. And I mean, there was one point where I was picking up aluminum cans on the side of the road and I would go and put them in these in these can banks is what we called them. They're like ATM machines, but you put cans in there and it would give you coins. Uh, That's how I made money for a while. I was just desperate for work, couldn't find work. And then I ended up uh, getting on board with three temp agencies. And what they would do, they would call me every day or so and say, hey, we got a job for you to go fill in for tomorrow. Are you interested? Of course, the answer was always yes. I have a lot of stories to tell about about those days, but I will refrain, except for this story here. Uh, One of the temp agencies called me and said, hey, we need for you to stand in at this glue factory. Are you interested? And, And again, the answer is yes, I am interested. I am desperate. I am hungry. I need a job. And so I will work uh, a shift at the glue factory. And I don't know if the person that I was replacing was sick or or exactly what the problem was. I, I, I never asked or I don't remember at this point. It was 30-something years ago. But anyway, I, I, I went there and I worked. And then they asked me if I'd come back the next day. And I said, well, of course. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And then they asked me if I'd come back the third day. I said, absolutely. A job three days in a row. Praise God. And then whatever happened, happened, and they, they said, hey, we would love for you to come on board, and, and we just want you to replace this person. And again, I don't, I don't know the person. I don't know, what they're, I don't know what was going on. And so I had a contract with the temp agency, and I had to work for the temp agency for 90 days, and then they would release me from the contract, and then I could be a full-time employee at the glue factory. And that is exactly what happened. I worked there for a year. And so I finished my 90 days, and then I, I, I became a full-time employee. Okay, so at this glue factory, there were about 30 employees. It was a small glue factory, but we did a lot of work. Now, my primary job was to pick, was to pick up 50-pound bags of resin. Uh, think about um, small pieces of peanut brittle resin, and I would pour it into this gigantic hole in the ground that was full of fire, and it would melt uh, the resin, and then it would come out in the basement through these dispensers, it would come out as glue. That was a simplified version of what I did. Okay, so there were about 30 employees, and three of those employees were practicing lesbians. Now, I was grateful for the job. It was a difficult place to work for many reasons, but because it was a dead-end job, 
Well, for those of you who have had dead-end production jobs, you know that uh, your workmates really make all the difference in the world. And so you want to have good workmates that you can interact with because, again, it's brain-dead, and you want to have people that you can engage and have fun with and have stimulating conversations and so forth. Well, two of these lesbians had no interest in me at all. I mean, we worked together, and so we were always in proximity to each other. But one of them did. And so we struck up a conversation, and then after a while, I just said, hey, you want to go out? Uh, Would you like to go on a date? And she accepted, and it was fantastic. And we had a number of excellent conversations, which I want to share with you in just a moment. But the other two ladies that I worked with, one of them I think was my sworn enemy. It was never said aloud, but (laughs) it, it wasn't that we didn't get along because we didn't really get in any arguments, but she would have nothing to do with me because she was a super hyper angry woman who seemingly hated everyone. And so it wasn't just me uh, that she despised. She despised everybody. Her name was Charlie. Uh, Charlene, I think, is her real name, but she identified as Charlie. She was former military, and I don't think there's any question in my mind that if she took a notion that she could beat me up. I mean, she was a stout, strong, big woman. Now, I was pretty fit lifting those 50-pound bags of resin, uh, but she was on a whole nother level. And so because of her anger and the fact that she could beat me up if she wanted to, I just kind of stayed away from her, even though she was my supervisor and I did whatever she asked me to do. And then there was another lesbian that I worked with, and I don't remember her name. It may have been Melissa. It seemed like it started with an M, maybe a Melanie, something like that. And I couldn't have a conversation with her either because she was, let's just say she was under the management of of medication, and she was primarily incoherent, and she was super hyper uh, insecure. And I felt sorry for both of these ladies for different reasons, but I couldn't reach them. The, the, the doors were just closed, and there were no opportunities to have any kind of civil and ongoing conversations with either one of them. But then my third friend, lesbian friend, she was super social. She was very easy to like. She was fun. She was fun to engage with in conversation. And so as we worked, we talked about all sorts of things. Again, dead-end production jobs are mind-bending bores, so your workmates can really make all the difference in the world. And then you throw in the tension of working in a primarily unregenerate environment. It does make friend-picking a little bit problematic, but not for us, not for you, not for me, because we have Christ, and He is our advantage. You see, we're operating from a position of strength. We can befriend anyone for the gospel's sake. We're motivated to do it, and we're praying, and we're asking God to intervene and to open those doors for us so that we can share Christ with with whosoever will. And so that is our advantage. And so I struck up a conversation, built a relationship. Her name is Lori, and Lori and I... Uh, had a wonderful time conversating uh, on the 
uh, workfloor in the work environment. My hope was that the Lord would create an opportunity for me to share Christ with her, and God was merciful. We hit it off. We enjoyed being with each other. She was curious about my religion. I was just as much an anomaly to her as she was to me. I was just, uh, she was just as curious in me as I was curious about her and her lifestyle, and particularly her lesbianism. I was really interested in, in understanding uh, what makes her tick. Now, this, these were the days long before I had a counseling career. In fact, I didn't even know anything about biblical counseling. I don't think I've ever heard the term before, but as I look back on it, I, I can see uh, the, the, these aspects in my life that are true today, that I am an extremely curious person in one specific niche, and that curiosity is always about the human psyche, the human soul. And so I've always been this way. I've been this way my entire life. I had no idea that it would eventually evolve years later into a counseling career. But back then in the glue factory, uh, on the floor, on the production line, uh, working with, with glue, my lesbian friend, I was very curious uh, about her. And so we had a lot of conversations. And it was in those rare moments where, I mean, imagine this, having unlimited time with a lesbian, at least while we were at work. I mean, this was just like a bonanza of, of conversation and Christocentric opportunity. And so for eight to ten hours a day, there we were interacting on and off. And so after a few weeks, I did muster up the courage, and I asked her if she wanted to go out on a date. And she said, yeah. And, and I'm saying to myself, praise God. And so we did. Uh, we went on two or three dates during that season uh, in our lives. We went on a picnic. We went down to the park. Uh, we worked third shift, so we'd get off at 7 and then uh, go and pick up a subway or something and go out on the out at the park, sit on a blanket, and and talk. We played basketball one time with some of the other guys, and then we spent time talking. We went to the Pizza Hut uh, and had lunch together and spent time talking. We went to Ruby Tuesdays. It's another restaurant, and spent time talking. We got along nicely, and and also there was no temptation between her and I to to sin sexually because we both like girls. And so she was not interested in me. I, I was a guy. I am a guy. Still identify as a guy. And I like girls. She likes girls. And so there was no temptation of anything ever happening. So it was a safe relationship. And I was grateful to God for this mercy. And again, I, I intrigued her uh, because she had questions for me. And, and I, apparently I felt safe. Uh, to her, and that was a big deal, to be safe, as I began to found, find out later as we delved into more in-depth conversation. And of course, she most definitely intrigued me. Now, my ultimate goal was to understand her. I wanted to figure her out. I, I wanted to understand what was going on inside of her head while hopefully uh, positioning the conversation to where I could give her a better perspective on life a better perspective on religion. When I meet people, I, I've, I've talked about it this way before. It's, it's kind of like a game, and I don't mean to trivialize it at all, and I don't mean it that way. It's just a figure of speech. But it's like a competitive event. It's like a game 
when I meet somebody is where I'm looking for doors of opportunity. Uh, I'm looking for a thread that will lead into a deeper conversation with an individual. And that's when I meet people, that's how I think about them. Uh, where will the door be? And so I'm mentally processing and asking questions and talking as I'm continuing position, continuing to position and reposition myself mentally uh, to be able to enter and to have a redemptive conversation with the individual. And so I wanted to figure her out. I, I wanted that door. I wanted to get inside her head, in her psyche, her soul, with the goal of giving her a better perspective on life and religion. Her only understanding of Christians is that they hated her. That's her only understanding. Of course, there is, she also had this religion is a crutch mantra. And so, on one hand, Christians hated her. And then on, the, on the other hand, you know, Christianity, it's the opiate of the people. Christianity is just a crutch that people used, and so Christianity is just this weird thing of hateful people uh, that had no value to her. And so when she met me and realized that we could have a conversation together and that I wasn't going to ping her or hit her over the head with my big King James Bible, uh, then she began to become more vulnerable. She began to be more open to conversation to eventually where we could go on a date, which we did several times. And the reason that we went on a date is because I couldn't accomplish what I wanted to with her while working on the production line because we, we needed undistracted downtime to chat, and there was glue to make. And, you know, you don't want to... Uh, it's an integrity issue to work your job and not to take away from your job. And so there's two biblical tensions there that I had to wrestle through. One is to work and labor hard for the glory of God and for the benefit of my employer. And then on the other hand was this evangelistic opportunity. And so uh, those two tensions I had to rectify, reconcile. And the way I did that is I just asked her out on a date. That's the way that we can do it, and I can work hard while at work, and then we can go out on a date, and I can enjoy this, hopefully, evangelistic opportunity, and the Lord was merciful. And so on one of our last dates, and so I'll just move the chronology to the end, this is where we ended up at this restaurant called Ruby Tuesdays. And after several times together, a lot of conversation at work, a lot of private time together in public spaces, whether at the park or in restaurants, she began to tell me her story. And it was not a surprise to learn that she had been molested multiple times by her uncle. Now, this is not always the story with people who choose a gay lifestyle, but it's not an unusual story either. I have heard this many times in my what became my future counseling career. And so I wasn't surprised that something bad happened to her. Uh, she told me that the abuse began around her eighth birthday, and it continued into her teenage years until she could escape that environment. And so she was in an unsafe place with no help to work through the turmoil in her soul, 
and the physical trauma that her uncle foisted upon her. Her uncle destroyed any hope of her having a proper interpretive filter of processing life, her own life, her own soul noise, processing relationships biblically, and having a a clear picture of who God really is. And so all of those filters were just, uh, just messed up by the abuse that happened to her repeatedly a number of years, almost a decade, with her uh, perverted uncle. And so with no place to go for help and no rescue in sight, what Lori did is she did what any of us would do. She reached out for the safest relationships that she could find. With no theology to guide her, she found solace with empathetic females who were safe. They were, they were safe, they were kind, they were non-condemning, and they were willing to show her the way. Of course, it was their way. And I know many of you are probably thinking uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve is probably going off in your mind now. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death in Proverbs 14, 12. But these ladies were going to show her the way. And, of course, the way, as the writer in Proverbs says, is the way of death. Now, the counter opposite of that is in John 14, 6, as you also very well know. Jesus, here it is. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there are two ways. There is a way that seems right to a man, but, but that way is the, the way of death. And then Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and because of what had happened in Lori's life, it, it's almost like the way just took her that way, the way of death. But fortunately, she, she began to share with me that. She began to open up. Uh, she felt like she could be vulnerable and, and talk about these things that were hidden inside of her that we couldn't, she couldn't say on the production floor. Uh, but eventually, conversation led that way. And so on our last date at Ruby Tuesdays, that's when I presented the gospel to her. And it took several months before I ever got to that place. It, and, and in that day, that lunch, it took a lot of napkins to sketch it all out. And now I reflect back on it, and I realize, I mean, that's what became my counseling career. Uh, I, I have a lot of infographics on our website, and all of these infographics, there's more than 125 of them. And all of those are, are sketches that I made in counseling sessions when I was counseling people. And it just, it was, it's my way, it's, it's my way of communicating truth by drawing pictures so people can visually see it. I had no idea that I, when I was sitting at Ruby Tuesdays drawing out on napkins, it, it was just impulsive, it was instinctive, it was intuitive that this is what I need to do. But when I look back on it, I mean, that's what I have always done. And I was doing it there with Lori in that restaurant. And I was drawing these pictures out with my pen on napkins. And I was trying to communicate Christ in all of these graphic, illustrative ways so that she could understand it audibly and also understand it visually as she was looking at these napkins and these sketches on the napkins. And so we spent two hours 
walking through the complexity of sin, the choices that we make, and why there is a Savior. And Lori cried. And as I typically do, I, I cried too. She was as open as anyone I had ever spoken to about the gospel, but she was also more caught than most people that I have talked to about the gospel, caught in the sense of Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them. Cartatizo, men uh, in, in Mark 1.19, Peter and James were walking by the water and they saw them mending their nets. They were restoring. Lori had broken nets that needed cartatizo, that needed restoration. She was caught, and she needed restoration. You who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, Paul said in Galatians 6, uh, verse 1 and 2. And so she was caught. I talked to her about Christ. She cried. I cried. It was a wonderful, redemptive conversation. After we finished, though... She decided, at least for that time, to choose her sin, the way of death, over the way of truth and, and life. And I understood. I understood why she was making that decision. The, the Lord was too much of a risk, more than she wanted to take at that time. As the saying goes, it's safer to dance with the devil you know than to take a chance uh, with the one you don't. And so in her case, it was safer to dance with the devil that she knew than to take a chance with God. It's kind of like a trapeze artist. It's like I'm hanging on here, and this is my faith. This is my security. If I let go of this and grab Christ, I don't know if I can do that. That's too much of a, a risk. And by the way, you're like that too. I'm like that. I mean, when push comes to shove, we prefer security over freedom. And, and many times the choices are, are so difficult uh, that I'd just rather be secure. I will grasp for security rather than letting go of security for this hope-filled futuristic freedom that I might have by faith, but I'm not sure. And so I will choose security, even if it means losing freedom. And so I will choose the path that leads to death, rather than the path that leads to life, truth, Christ, because letting go of that rope in the trapeze analogy requires a faith that I'm not willing to take. And so I'm secure in the life that I have, even though you're telling me that there's a freedom that I can't even understand where I'm at now, but I'll take security over freedom and Many times, uh, that is the choice that we make. And so Lori rejected the freedom that, she, that could have been hers in Christ. And that was 30 years ago. And I, I've often thought about my lesbian friend. She was a pretty blue-eyed blonde who was as twisted in sin as I was before the exploding power of the gospel began its transformative work in me. And, and my hope and my prayer have been many times when I think about her, is that the seed that she understood that day at Ruby Tuesdays, that it will take root in her heart and it will give her uh, the courage and the gumption to walk away from all her sin, 
walk away from the devil she knows, walk away from this, this facade of security, and, and that, that she would cling to the freedom that we have in Christ, that she would take that risk, and that she would cling to Christ, uh, and that she will choose another kind of safety, a safety that truly only Christ, an eternal security that Christ offers. But ultimately, the struggle was too great at that time. And that struggle, the struggle of sin was not so much lesbianism. I mean, that is an issue, of course. But the struggle to bring it down on the ultimate level is the same struggle that we all have. Will I believe God? That is the ultimate tension. That is the ultimate sin issue. That is at the bottom of it all, unbelief. And, and that is something that we all can relate to. Whether it is the unbelief of an unregenerate soul who is refusing salvation, or it's the unbelief of a regenerate soul as we are called to trust God every day in our situations and relationships, unbelief is the nemesis of our souls. And unbelief was keeping Lori at that point in time from receiving uh, Christ as her Savior. Now, I do not know what has happened since then. I worked one year at the glue factory, and then another job opportunity opened up that was bigger and better and, and so forth and so on, and I took it and I left. And, and maybe the time that I was there, maybe the purpose of me being there was for that one moment. That is the most significant moment in the whole 12 months that I was there. That time when I dated a lesbian so that I could share Christ. I want to wrap up by just asking a couple questions. And again, you can find these questions inside the article uh, that I'm sharing with you. And, and maybe you want to share the article. You can print it off, share the video, share the podcast. And, and here are a few questions that I, I would love for you to think about. One, what are your thoughts about my story? What, what are your thoughts about my story and would you share it with a friend, appealing to your friend to enter into a delightful and reflective conversation with you about this story? Would you do that? Number two, is there someone in your life or is there a people group that you disdain so much that you refrain from sharing Christ with them? Now, let me give you a, an illustration from the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah had that same kind of attitude uh, toward the Ninevites. Uh, in fact, he, when God told him to go talk to the Ninevites, he went the other way toward Tarshish. I don't want to have anything to do with them Ninevites. I mean, he had rather die than to tell them about the gospel. And so this is a question that's relevant to us. Is there a person in your life or a people group in your life that you disdain so much that you refrain from sharing Christ with them? Number three... Who is one person you can talk to today about Christ? Name the person. And then what is your plan for speaking with them about Christ? Number four, when you meet a person, what is your process for figuring them out of how to present Christ to them? I talked about that earlier. I, I used the metaphor of a game, and it's not a game. It's a, the it's a most serious, eternal thing, process. Uh, but to put it in an analogous way, that's the way I think about it, that when you meet people, do, do you have that kind of intentionality? 
Do you see them as an opportunity? Do you see every person as a puzzle where you cooperate with God in figuring them out or figuring out, not figuring them out, but figuring out how to share Christ? And then that's all my questions, actually. There are four of them. So the title of this is uh, the day that I, or the reason I dated a lesbian was to share Christ. If you're a supporting member of our ministry, uh, go over to the private section and you can have a conversation with us about this and you're welcome to do that. I would like for you to consider what I was saying earlier. Uh, if you fit in this middle space, if you know somebody that fits in this middle space where you want more than the free stuff, thank you very much, Rick. But yet I, I, I can't at this time or I don't believe it's God's mind for me to enter the mastermind program, but I would love another set of eyes. I, I would love that mentoring opportunity. And if you are, go over to the supporting side of our ministry. Jump on our private forum. Ask your questions, many as you like. You can flatten them out if you wish. You can maintain anonymity. You don't have to use people's real names and so forth. And so you can flatten it out to ask your question and... If that's something that's appealing to you, then we would love to serve you that way. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.